Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff, a podcast from Winning at Home. Please welcome your host, speaker, and award-winning author, Steve Norman. Hi, I'm Steve Norman. Welcome to Hope Through Hard Stuff. I'm super excited to have as our guest today, Jamie Curtis. She's one of our therapists here on staff. Jamie, tell us about what population you work with and what issues you have the opportunity to address. Sure. So I work with predominantly teens and female women. Um, that are dealing with anxiety, depression, some suicidality, and some grief. Jamie, I heard a quote from somebody that said that every generation wants to believe that they're smarter than the generation mm-hmm. that came before them and they're wiser than the generation that's coming <laughs> after them. And I remember sometimes when I was 17, 18 year old, I was like, my parents have no idea what is going on in my world. But now that I have an 11-year-old, an almost 13-year-old, a 15-year-old, and a 17-year-old, I like to think that I understand the world mm-hmm. that they're in. But I hear you saying that I might not know as much as I want to think that I do. Right. I can tell you how many times I myself have often said, you know, to my own kids, you know, when I was a teen, um, it was like this. But slowing down and starting to pay attention to some of the teens that I'm seeing and even my own kids starting to realize that they're facing things that you and I, see we didn't see or we didn't experience as teens or they're experiencing them to a greater level. Things such as technology, the constant connection with their phones, with the internet at their fingertips. They're living in a world where there's this, also this violence that they even have to worry about in their own schools. They're experiencing things such as extreme pressures with things such as travel, sports, AP classes, just some extreme pressures that they're, they're dealing with. And then you even throw in the pandemic. You and I um, know how it's affected us. And as teens whose brains are still developing and who don't always understand what's going on, for them, they're living in this uncertainty where there's been adults for the last two years at odds. What confusion that has to bring. So you throw all of that together. And I think we can say there are a lot of things that our kids are experiencing that we just didn't experience. It's a fascinating insight because I remember, for the most part, when I was growing up, my the things that stressed my parents out were pretty disconnected from what I was able to observe and experience. Right. But the pandemic created this very odd collective trauma where entire families were going through major uncertainty together. Right. And that low-grade stress that kids were experiencing anyway was compounded by the fact that parents were experiencing stress as well. Right. And you throw in the technology piece, the social media piece, it's right in front of them all the time. They're experiencing, you know, the adults in their life um, dealing with a pandemic, seeing it in front of them. But they're also witnessing the arguments that's going on on social media, the division. And then not even to mention the constant comparison with their peers outside of the pandemic. So what shape is that anxiety or that depression or maybe the tendency towards self-harm or suicidal ideation? What shape do you see that taking in this generation of teenagers? What I seem to be noticing a lot with the clients that I'm seeing are teens coming in feeling overwhelmed, feeling like they have a lot of pressures and high expectations that they most often set for themselves. But in a way, it's a way for them to control something They are grasping for control in this world that just seems to be out of control for them. So, Jamie, it seems like one of the first invitations you are issuing to parents of kids living in a very complex world is maybe just a dose of humility. Right. Just the ability to pause and say, I don't know everything that they're going through. Like, yeah, there are some generic trends and themes about being adolescent in America, but the environment that they're in is 
radically different right. from the one a lot of us experienced when we grew up in the 70s, 80s, or 90s. <laughs> right. One of the greatest things that we as parents can do is listen to our kids. Slow down. Let's you know model for them by putting our phones down and being present, letting them express the things that they're feeling. Um, sometimes kids do struggle to even name their feelings. So maybe it looks like parents helping them to name some of the the feelings that they're feeling, um, but really just being present and allowing them to express what's going on in their world, the, the different pressures, and just listening, not, not offering advice, not offering something to fix the situation, or even invalidating them by arguing or judging their feelings. What shapes have you seen that take when you deal with clients? Like, what are some of the things that parents might be inadvertently do doing to maybe shut down a safe space for kids to really vocalize or verbalize or name what it is that they're going through. They don't like to see their kids, you know, hurting. They don't want to see them in that discomfort. And so trying to fix or trying to help them come up with ideas to fix the situation instead of letting them actually just feel and sit in those feelings sometimes, allowing them to really understand what they're feeling um, instead they're trying to come up with solutions, come up with ways to fix it or even trying to tell them, no, that's really not how it is, and trying to persuade them to feel a different way when that's just how they feel, and they should have the permission to feel what they feel in this confusing time. Jamie, as parents of faith, in, in theory, we would like to think that we're trusting God with all of our kids' experiences, but I know that I I don't, like mm-hmm. in real time. To your right. to your point, I want to I want to rescue them, I want to mm-hmm. protect them, I want to bulldoze obstacles for them, rather than acknowledging that, whoa, God is leading them maybe into a season of discomfort to shape them and to mm-hmm. stretch them and to grow them. So how how does your faith come mm-hmm. into giving yourself and your kids permission to be where they are. That's been a hard one. And just like you, um, as a parent, it's hard to watch our kids go through hard things. For us as parents, my husband and I, we've watched our kids navigate, especially the last couple of years, uh, through some hard things. Each one of our three kids have experienced some some hard things. I guess for us as parents, we try to look at it as, right, what is God trying to teach us what is God trying to teach them? Um, allowing God to um, be with them, allow them to lean in on their relationship with Christ uh, during the hard times, to not come in and rescue them from the hard things, but to allow them to navigate for us to walk alongside them so that they can grow deeper in their faith and their ability to lean in on God. It's interesting. A couple times in Scripture, we see God give somebody a promise like Abraham. And that that promise for God to be faithful to Abraham's family isn't being fulfilled in Abraham's timeline. So he decides that he's going to help God out. <laughs> and that just backfires horribly. And I think that there are some times where if whenever I try to play the role of spiritual provider mm-hmm. or protector, whenever I try to be God in my kid's right. life, it's not good for me because God never asked me to be that. And ultimately, it's not good for them because I can't right. provide what they truly need. Right. I even look back at my own you know, teenage years, and there were things that I went through that I'm sure my parents, you know, would love to have just been able to step in and rescue. But those were the things that when I look back now, that's what molded and shaped who I am today and who I am as a, a follower of Christ. So good. 
Jamie, what other what other tools or resources do you want to give to parents to help them understand their kids' world and to help their daughters and their sons navigate some of the, these really tricky topics that you've identified? Right. We you know we talked a little bit about talking and listening. Um, one thing that we love to do at the Curtis House, and we're definitely not perfect with it, is naming the good things because we are living in a hard time right now, and it's so easy to point out the the bad things that are going on in our world. Um, and we tend to hyper-focus on that negative aspect. So for us, it looks like us sitting down at the dinner table, which we also make a priority is, you know, at least once or twice a week sitting down at the dinner table, being present with our kids and, and asking them, hey, tell us about your one good thing of the day today to help them to realize that even in the hard, there are good things going on just a simple practical thing. We're working to retrain our brain in that. We are often focused on the negative. That's just kind of seems to be what I'm seeing a lot of is just a lot of negative and critical thinking. And so when we um, are working to retrain our brain to focus on the gifts, the blessings that God has given us, we start to realize more often we're pointing those things out more than the negative. So good to hear you say that. I had a friend who told me once, he's like, Steve, when we're spiritually or emotionally unhealthy, our default mode is always self-promotion or self-protection. I want to make myself better or I want to make myself defended. And I think that that, that commitment to gratitude allows me to say like, oh, there's something bigger than me and my needs and my preferences that are happening in this moment. Right. And, you know, when we talk about anxiety, we talk about depression. Um, one of the biggest tools is that gratitude piece because it works towards almost taking us outside of ourselves and really paying attention to things that God has given us and blessed us with and blessed others with. One thing that I love to point out to my clients is uh, Philippians 4, 6, where it says to be anxious about nothing, but instead in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And Mm -hmm. we often forget about that thanksgiving piece. And why is it that God calls us to be in prayer with thanksgiving? So other than around the dinner table, are there other gratitude practices that you encourage families and clients to pursue? I mean, there are so many different ones. You can create different ways to find gratitude, you know, yeah. whether it's um, really just paying attention to the gifts that God has given you, you know, helping your kids to name some of the things that they're proud of themselves for. I think that we often hear kids talking negatively about themselves, yeah. that critical voice, how often, you know, we probably hear it ourselves and helping us to really you know, it feels weird, feels uncomfortable, but point out the things that we're proud of. Actually acknowledge those things is okay and it's actually good. I've heard some people have a practice of just even keeping a gratitude journal, right. not even as individuals, but just a, just maybe a, a small notebook that rests on the center of the table to be able to say, okay, we're just going to go around and everybody's going to say one thing that they're thankful for. And at the end of the month, we'll just review the list and just be reminded that whatever it was that we faced before, God was faithful. That's a great idea. And we have reason to believe that God can be faithful. Yeah, I like that. That's a great idea. What else do you got? They kind of go hand in hand that I think is super important that I always like to talk uh, to my teens and their parents about is phones and sleep and how those tend to kind of play off of each other. We know that our kids' worlds are so connected all the time, right? They've got the social media. They've got their computers for school. They're constantly connected. It's how they have conversations with their friends. It's how they communicate with coaches and teachers. It's that constant connection piece. And so one of those things is setting limits with our phones. 
and for us as parents to model healthy relationships with our phones. What does that look like in your family? Like, how have you had to reframe your interaction with your personal devices mm-hmm. in order to model just health and wellness for your kids? It's an ongoing process, I will say that for us. But um, some of the things that have worked at our house is um, one of the big things is setting screen time limits okay. um, with different apps. You can do that through your phone. You can do that through um, different apps or whatnot to to limit screen time. Also for us, our teenagers know um, we've set boundaries around when they can have their phones in their rooms and when they can't. 10 o'clock at the Curtis house, phones are upstairs plugged in um, because that's bedtime and that is time that they need to decompress, yep. um, unplug, and disconnect from the world. So that's one thing that we try to do. Do they love it? Absolutely not. But we're setting boundaries as parents to kind of help them protect their mental and emotional and physical well-being. Just a technical question. Do phones go off like at the very time that lights go out or do phones go off a half an hour before they go to sleep or an hour before they go to sleep? Is there like a down ramp between when I power down my device and when I actually attend to get rest? Best thing to do now, whether that happens or not, should be at least an hour before bedtime. So that's Um, the recommendation. Recommended. There we go. That's sort of, it's recommended. Um, at least an hour before bedtime. Um, Does that happen? Probably not. But if we can at least shut our phones down um, half an hour to an hour before bedtime, what that does is gives our brain the chance to kind of slow down. Phones, technology, TVs, computers, they rev our brains up. And so then it's harder for us to fall asleep. And with kids, with even adults having our phones in our room, what do we do when we struggle to fall asleep? We tend to turn to our phones. So it's kind of a vicious cycle. What other themes are you seeing or what other steps are you recommending for parents to take? Right. Um, So one thing to really focus on um, for our kids is their sleep habits. Um, That kind of goes hand in hand with the phone aspect. Our kids understanding that their brains are still developing, their bodies are still growing. It's so important for them to get between nine and 10 hours of sleep a night. Um, Obviously, where eight hours would be would be good. They need the sleep. They need to be able to um, rest their body for their bodies to... Just for their bodies to reset yeah. and recharge. I think that some spiritual traditions were like, hey, really hardcore people, they stay up late working hard and they get up early to pray. And the more I see the scriptures, the more like rest isn't just a suggestion, rest is a command. Right. So we read the story of Elijah who has this moment, this like adrenaline pumping moment where he sees these miracles on top of a mountain, sees God called on fire. And then in the very next chapter, he's so depressed that he wants to die. Mm. And when the angel says, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to feed you and then I'm going to make you take a nap. Right. And I think that sometimes we forget that God created us as whole people. And if we can't rest our bodies, we can't rest our souls and our minds. Right. And and to think about the bodies that are still growing, how much they need that rest. It's so important, not just for their physical well-being, but for their emotional um, well-being as well. So gratitude, gratitude, listening, monitoring devices, carving and creating out time and expectation for rest. Right. What other proactive tools? Definitely getting our bodies moving. Um, We do live in a a culture where, you know, there's a lot of sports and athletics, and those are great things um, that keep our bodies moving. They keep, um, you know, us working on things such as work ethic and and stuff like that. But 
Um, it doesn't have to be that extreme. Just making sure as much as you know, phones and things like technology cause us to be in isolation, um, realizing that it's important that we get our bodies moving too. Get out of the house, um, go out in God's creation, go out in nature, connect um, in creation. Maybe it's a walk, maybe it's a hike, maybe it's a bike ride, maybe not right now with all the snow, but it's, it's getting our bodies moving is such an important piece to our emotional well-being. So, Jimmy, what do you say to parents who are watching their children struggle with very deep and serious depression who really are struggling just to get out of their room? How do you make that shift? How do you challenge and also gently encourage to be able to say, I know it's hard to just get out of the cocoon, but the best thing for you in this moment is to to get outside, just to move, just to breathe. It's a lot of encouragement and it's a lot of baby steps um, because things can feel so overwhelming. You know, when you look at the big picture of things, how overwhelming that can be. So let's break it down. You know, maybe today it looks like, what if we just walk to the, the mailbox? Can you go grab the mail for me? Little baby steps to get us out of our cocoon. Uh, maybe it's five minutes here and there to come out of your room um, to spend time with us. It doesn't have to be significant to get that, that ball rolling, to get our bodies feeling a little bit better, to make that shift uh, into more healthy uh, habits. Perfect. Now, you and I have had some conversations just in the break room on the flip side about how youth sports, if we're not careful, can become too consuming, right. not just mentally, but also physically. How how has your family found that balance between making sure that kids get activity and making sure that it doesn't become like the driving, dictating force in their lives? Right. That's been a difficult one for us at the Curtis House. I think because, you know, we have kids that are very competitive and they do love sports. But when we start to as parents recognize some of the the heavy stress, um, the busyness, the the constant running back and forth. For us, we started to recognize in a couple of our kids that it was just a little bit too heavy for them to carry. It was becoming um, more of a chore for them, and they were losing their love and their passion for the sport that they they had always loved. And that's not our goal for us as parents. We, you know, Kevin and I, we constantly say we are raising kids that we want to be healthy. We want to be kind. We want to love the Lord. We are not raising superstars or even college athletes. We are raising kids that we want them to have a healthy balance of athletics and sports, but also just more well-rounded in their whole entire life. So what steps did your family take to make sure that your children didn't lose their their joy and their love of the game in the midst of all of the the chaos and the the Um, calendar? So for us, this year has has made a shift. Um, We've kind of pulled out of some travel sports for a couple of our kids, which not saying that's what everybody needs to do. It's just what was right for our family. We, We recognized that the balance was off in our family, not just for the kids that were in um, the travel ball scene, um, but also the ones that weren't. And so we needed more of a healthy balance for us, but also recognizing um, when our kids were um, looking deflated, um, being anxious, not wanting to partake in, in things that they used to love. We just, we were able to recognize that. And for us, it, it looked like stepping back for a little bit at least for the time being. It's so good. But there is that middle ground that we need to wrestle with sometimes because obviously no no movement can can lead to further or deeper depression, but 
a life that is filled with only movement or performance anxiety around that sport can kind of swing wide and cause anxiety on a, on a different way. So absolutely. finding that middle is, is important, yeah, even when absolutely. it's tricky. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's, like you said, it's tricky. And I think it's a constant check-in with our kids and asking them, you know, how are you feeling? You know, are you still enjoying what you're doing? Kind of really, again, letting them um, name some of those feelings. And it might be you might have to help them name some of those feelings that they're feeling. Jamie, you've given us some really practical steps, talking and listening, boundaries around technology, encouraging sleep, pushing into gratitude, challenging towards movement. What else is on the list that we still need to cover? I guess my last thing would be talking to your kids when and if it gets to the point where you are seeing anxiety and depression really just playing um, a big role in their daily life. If it's starting to really impact school and their joy. And maybe that's when, you know, you talk about counseling, talk about if that's a need and giving them the understanding that it's it feels scary, it feels overwhelming, um, and it might even feel a little embarrassing, but it's okay. I talked to a lot of teens in my days, and so many of them, once they get through that first step of stepping in my door, they start to realize that the time that they spend in the office with me or with another therapist, it's rich, it's good. They look forward to that time. It's time that they feel that they can just release some of the the stressors in their world and and talk about, you know, some of the things that maybe they don't talk about with anybody else. So helping them to understand that it might feel scary, it might feel embarrassing, but giving them the permission to say, you know, I, I do need some help. Jamie, what do you say to parents who maybe came from a family of origin that viewed therapy as weakness or you talked about shame or embarrassment. I think as a, as a whole, we're, I'm so encouraged to see this generation of teenagers be open and encouraged and motivated towards conversations with therapists. But there are some generations who are like, eh, you know, just rub some dirt on it and you'll be fine. What do you say to maybe some broader family dynamics where people don't fully appreciate what counseling can offer? Yeah, right. It's my goal for teens, for parents, for that stigma just to go away, that um, counseling is a bad thing or that it's an unnecessary thing. Emotions are are real. God has given us emotions and they're okay to have. It's how do you how do you manage them? How do you uh, cope with some of the bigger feelings? Um, to the parents that may say, rub a little dirt on it, you know, mental health is just as important as our physical health. They go hand in hand together. And if we would treat our mental health the way that we treat our physical health, I think that you would understand that this time is important and it is precious for our kids to be able to lean in uh, to their mental well-being. Jamie, you talked about there's nothing that hurts more than watching our kids hurt. What do you say to parents who may have a child who's going through a prolonged season of depression Mm -hmm. and maybe some of the measures that they're taking don't seem to be immediately effective. Mm -hmm. What do you say to people who are just feeling pretty overwhelmed? That's, that's a tough one. Um, I would ask them, what are they doing to take care of themselves? Because they themselves are watching, you know, their kids go through a hard time and that you and I know is hard as parents to watch our kids do that. So I would, I would ask them, you know, what are you doing in the midst of all of this that you're taking care of yourself? What are some of the things, 
such as maybe you need to reach out and have um, that support, whether it looks like, you know, just a friend or, or maybe even counseling for yourself. Uh, that's okay, too. Jamie, what do you say to the 15 or 16-year-old who might be listening and their parents are encouraging them to maybe take a proactive step towards some structured mental health support, mm-hmm. but they just don't know what to expect. They've never done it before. What What do you say to let them know that this is a, a safe and a good step, even if it feels a little bit scary? On the- so what I love to tell to my teens when they first come in is, you know, it's not going to look like what you think it's going to look like. Most often, you know, we have this this thought in our head, I think because of uh, TV and shows that it's going to be laying down on a couch and, you know, asking questions or carrying on conversations. And it's going to be more of, for me, as a, a therapist with teens, I like to do interaction. I like to play games with my kids. I like to um have their hands moving um, while we're talking. So it looks different. It's actually kind of fun. There's a lot of Uno that is played. Um, And kids talk more uh, openly when their hands are moving. So that's that's kind of something that I like to share with my teens is it's going to look different than what you think. Um, It's actually going to be a lot more fun than what you think. That's great. Jamie, I recently heard a quote by psychologist Susan David. She talked about how how to process negative emotions. And she just gave me a, a really tiny tweak that was really helpful. She said, instead of saying I'm angry, say I'm in a position where I'm noticing feelings of anger. And I just thought that it was really helpful to have like one maybe layer of distance or disconnect from, from the dominant emotion and how I identify. So rather than saying like, I'm depressed or I'm anxious or I'm sad, all those are valid. But even for her to be able to say like, I'm noticing that I'm feeling feelings of anger or depression or sadness to be able to say like my identity transcends whatever dominant emotion I happen to be experiencing at the moment. Right. That That's good. I mean, because like you said, um, when you, you say I am angry or I am depressed, it brings on the sense of identity and you're, you're starting to identify with that. Instead, being able to label that emotion, I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling sad right now and being able to actually name it because we know that when we can name a feeling, a big feeling, it's easier to tame. But it's when we can't actually name it that it feels confusing and overwhelming. So to name those emotions, especially the ones that we feel like we can't control or fully anticipate, gives us a measure of power over them. Right. That's great. Jamie, thank you so much for your time and energy. Any parting thoughts that you want to give to to families? to young people or to parents? I know that the season that you teens are in is hard. It's been confusing and hard the last couple of years, especially. And I think that the one gift that I would want to give parents is just to remind um, teenage children that sometimes you think your parents are completely clueless and have no idea what they're doing please know that they love you mm. and that for whatever is scary to you is scary for them. Right. So as a whole family unit, give yourselves grace for it to be hard, mm-hmm. but know that God is with you in it. Right. And all you have to do is take the step that's in front of you and then watch God be good. Right. Oh, so good, Steve. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. You've been listening to Hope Through Hard Stuff. If you've got questions about the ministry of Winning at Home, you can learn more at our website, winningathome.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Hope Through the Hard Stuff. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to it 
rate and review it, and then share it with others. Winning at Home offers hope through counseling and coaching, motivational speaking, community events, and other media resources. If you believe in what we do and want to support us in our mission, consider making a donation at winningathome.com.